Hey, creep. I want to tell you a tale, if you're ready to hear it. It may not be pleasant. It may not end the way you want it to. But this story is gripping and as fascinating as it is shockingly horrifying. Are you ready? My name's Cole, and you're listening to Tales. Everyone feels sad at one point or another. Some people get sad when they see that summer's soon coming to an end. Others are sad that their favorite pet has passed. Others get sad thinking back of moments long since past. But some people feel sadness in a different way, an all-encompassing consumption of the mind. That's depression, a compounding and terrible undertow of emotions that can be difficult or near impossible to escape for some. I'll never be good enough. I'll never be happy. I'll never be what I want to be. These are some of the words that make up the never-ending cycle of toxic thoughts that someone suffering from depression or anxiety can be prey to. No one deserves to feel that way. But no matter how a person can try and fight those feelings, even the fight itself can make things worse, like weights tied to your ankle in the deep end of a pool. And sometimes the smallest of problems, which were never problems at all, but just a part of life, can consume someone for days and cause headaches and neck pains and tension so tight in their chest that it feels like they're gasping for breath at all times. And perhaps this is partially what a young man named Conrad Roy was feeling. Maybe those are some of the experiences that he had that no one in his life, it seemed, could relate to or empathize with. And perhaps that's why he looked to Michelle Carter, his girlfriend, for support. Conrad Roy was the instigator of his family, a lovable yet mischievous little devil who seemed to always be the one causing trouble but never the one getting in trouble. His high school marks and test scores were good enough to go to college on a full ride, and he was extremely athletic, excelling in baseball. Conrad, who was referred to affectionately in his family by the name Coco, was having issues though, coming to terms with the next stage of his life. And then life altogether seemed to sour for Conrad when in 2011 his parents divorced. And as if a divine finger had come along and flicked the first domino, the others soon began falling faster and faster. Conrad's anxiety quickly turned into full-blown depression, which then devolved further into suicidal ideation and a stay in a psychiatric facility following a number of suicide attempts. But after this day, Conrad Roy and his family felt as if things were turning around for him. But unfortunately, life doesn't like to pause and give anyone a moment to breathe. It moves along with the passing of each moment whether a person is ready or not. Conrad looked around, like many do, at his classmates who all seemed so headstrong and so certain of what it was that they were destined for. He saw in their eyes the destination already in sight, and what Conrad maybe didn't know is that even if his classmates thought they knew where they were headed, what they wanted to do, 
Very few at such a young age actually do. Most only boast that they have their lives figured out as a way to cope with the uncertainty of the unknown. Conrad, on the other hand, was outwardly unsure if he should accept his full-ride scholarship to a state university, or whether he should continue on in the footsteps of his father, as so many young men and women feel the need to do, by joining his family tugboat business. Of course, joining the family business wouldn't have been the worst imaginable outcome. Conrad Roy loved the water, and had at the age of 18 been granted his captain's license, an impressive accomplishment at the young age of 18, and his whole family beamed with pride, seeing this young man they'd watch grow over the years seemingly come into his own. But in direct contrast to the surety and confidence his family saw, Conrad was barely treading water alone in an ocean of doubt without a life vest. Conrad Roy, unknown to his parents at the time, was documenting his depression and thoughts in a secret video diary online. The entries remain online, but I won't include them in this episode. They're hard and saddening to watch and clearly show a young man in need of professional psychiatric intervention. Someone going through a series of emotional issues. But the real story, where things turn, where this case begins, all started with a one in a million chance meeting of two young teenagers grappling with the difficulties of life. In 2012, Conrad Roy was in Florida visiting family, enjoying the sun, refreshing his mind and breaking free of the chains that is home at times. And it was on that trip to Florida that Conrad met Michelle Carter, who was also coincidentally visiting her family in Florida. There was an instant connection between the two. Conrad being an athletic and handsome young man was drawn to Michelle, who seemed perhaps a bit shy but beautiful in his eyes and only a year younger. And to sweeten the deal, unlike most summer romances where the coming of school or the end of vacation signaled the separation of the star-crossed lovers, who are then separated by hundreds of miles. Well, in Conrad and Michelle's case, they were only an hour apart. Michelle lived in Plainfield, Massachusetts, and Conrad was only an hour south. Michelle Carter was also athletic, Playing softball in school, her coach, Ed McFarland, described her as a decent shortstop and a nice girl. Michelle was even voted most likely to brighten your day in the yearbook. But what most who knew Michelle wouldn't have known is that sports and where they lived wouldn't be the only two things that Conrad and Michelle had in common. Michelle Carter was also in a struggle with her own depression, a battle that started for her each day the moment she opened her eyes. That depression had manifested itself into an eating disorder, but she did what she could to manage those negative feelings and emotions by taking antidepressants. Part of her anxiety that had caused the eating disorders and her depression was the idea that no one liked her. That despite being well-liked by her classmates, she could never seem in her mind to make or keep friends. But meeting Conrad was as much a godsend for him as it was for her. It filled that lonely void. If she was up late, so was he. When she lay in bed doubting herself and feeling as if no one loved her, Conrad was there to text her and message her on Facebook. And soon after returning home, separated by an hour's drive, their summer fling turned into a truly intense, 
online romance that was destined to end in nothing but tears and tragedy for everyone. Conrad and Michelle texted nonstop and spoke intimately over text divulging secrets and feelings, things they wouldn't or couldn't tell their friends or family. In one Facebook exchange towards the beginning of their relationship, Conrad even told Michelle how he had tried to commit suicide. I tried to kill myself. How did you try and kill yourself? Do you still want to? No, I'm going to, just letting you know. The voices in my head tell me to. I know you want to, and you researched it and everything, but are you actually really going to do it? Yeah, if I can find a way for it to 100% work. Conrad Roy let Michelle in on a secret, that he had a plan to die, that he wanted to die, and that no matter what, he was going to kill himself. He had researched it extensively. In the summer of 2014, Conrad Roy, of his own volition, made hundreds and hundreds of searches, including the terms death by cop, cyanide poisoning, and easy ways to find poison. Conrad would send Michelle and unequipped young lady pictures of rifles and nooses hanging from trees. His suicidal fantasy was consuming his thoughts more often than not, which would be disturbing, or at the very least troubling and overwhelming for most. Conrad then took it one step further and suggested they both end their lives romantically together. We should be like Romeo and Juliet at the end. <laughs> I'd love to be your Juliet. But do you know what happens at the end? Oh yeah, hell no, we are not dying. For weeks on end throughout their online relationship, Conrad would repeat over and over how he was depressed and wanted to die. Over and over, he would confront her with these truths of his. And Michelle, also emotionally unequipped and fragile, continually tried to talk him off the ledge. Michelle was just a young girl, and she had suddenly found herself in the role of caretaker for someone she loved. That position, that responsibility weighs heavy on anyone's shoulders. But unlike an adult caretaker, Michelle was young and had no way yet to cope with it. The relationship continued to build, as they continued to support one another, as Conrad talked about life and its hassles and troubles, and as Michelle shared her own worries and concerns for the future and where she would land at the end of her youth. But the topic of suicide ran through everything, like a fault line ready to tear apart their worlds. But for most of the time they spoke, Michelle constantly encouraged him and tried to assure him he was a person worthy of love, end of life. On and on these texts continued, and Conrad continued to look to Michelle to support his suicidal thoughts. Michelle, who had never been in a position to be well-equipped to deal with that, not trained to deal with that, continued to tell him to stay alive, continually pulled his heels away from the edge. But things in her life were also starting to crumble. Michelle was hospitalized for a long-standing eating disorder and even went so far as to ask Conrad to join her in the hospital. 
She knew all she could do was support Conrad. She knew she couldn't actually help him. But Conrad didn't seem to want help and instead pressured Michelle not to tell anyone, going so far as to emotionally blackmail her in order to ensure she would stay silent about everything. Conrad, stop. You're not going to do it. I know you won't. I don't want you to. No, I actually am. You have so much to live for. Please don't. I'm never going to be better. I have to accept that. You're in a dark tunnel, but it's not going to last forever. You'll find the light someday. The only way I'd hate you is if you told people about this. You hear me? I'm not going to tell anyone because if I did, then you'd have to go to a hospital. And I know that's not what you want. I wish I had a gun. Would you use it? Yes. On the morning of July 12th, Conrad Roy woke to a typical summer's day. There was good sailing weather out with a persistent and refreshing breeze that ripped through the humid heat of summer. There were fishermen out on the water throwing their lines out and reeling them back in hoping to catch bass or other fish. And the historic lighthouse at Ned's Point stood as tall and as strong as ever. This was the kind of summer day that Conrad loved. Linroy, Conrad's mother, as well as Conrad himself and his younger sisters headed to Horseneck Beach. They walked along and spoke about life. Lynn felt optimistic that her son was finally moving on. There was an optimism about him that filled her with hope and joy, and it seemed everyone was having a good day. But as the morning turned to afternoon, and the sun began its journey overhead, instead of enjoying the pleasures of the beach like swimming or sunbathing, Conrad Roy sat in the car, obsessively texting someone. Then the Roy family, having had their fill of the summer sunshine, eventually packed up for the day and headed home. As dinner was being prepared, though, Conrad told his mother he was off to see a friend. She asked if he would be home for dinner. He said he didn't think so. And with that, Lynn Roy had no idea that would be the last time she'd ever speak to her son alive. Conrad grabbed the keys to his black Ford pickup and felt their weight settle into his palm before putting on his shoes and walking out the door into the summer night. He opened the door of his truck and sat in the driver's seat before turning the ignition, backing out of the driveway, and disappearing. And that was it. Conrad was gone. He had left home, but this time permanently. Conrad's mother had expected him home that evening, but Conrad didn't return. And in the morning, the search began to find Conrad Roy. He had driven off from his mother's Fairhaven, Massachusetts home, apparently to meet a friend. But by the morning of July 13th, he hadn't returned. And it was that very day that authorities were contacted to assist in the search. But that search wouldn't last very long, as Officer David Correa shortly after went to investigate a black Ford pickup truck that looked abandoned in an empty Kmart parking lot. Inside, he found Conrad Roy, his skin devoid of the flush of life, now slightly yellow and pallor. Just by looking at Conrad, Dave could tell the young man was no longer alive, at the tender age of 18. The case seemed pretty open and shut. 
Investigators made note of the portable gas water pump that sat in the back seat of the car. A gas water pump that Conrad had turned on and let run with the windows all rolled up, filling the car slowly with carbon monoxide, a scenario that would have killed anyone sitting in that black Ford within 20 minutes. And it didn't take long for the Roy family to find his suicide notes. Conrad had left notes for his family, as well as one for Michelle Carter. Someone Lynn Roy and the rest of the Roy family knew nothing about. Someone who they had no idea had been texting Conrad nonstop for two years. And someone they'd come to find was far more influential than they would have ever imagined. In the note to Michelle, Conrad thanked her for the support and for sticking through the struggles and mental health problems. But Michelle wouldn't only be there for Conrad. Soon, Michelle, a friend of Conrad's, was comforting the family as well. She began, at first, to create a relationship between herself and Conrad's mother, as well as Conrad's younger sister, Camden, texting and telling them that Conrad would have wished for them to not break down over him, for them to move on and to be strong. Michelle was texting them, calling, emailing, doing anything she could to insinuate herself into their lives. But whether it was the grief of someone outside the family who Conrad had made an impact on or something more, the Roy family had no idea. Then Michelle Carter showed up for Conrad's funeral and wake, leaving many members of the Roy family uncomfortable, wondering why someone they didn't know had come. Now, this to me doesn't seem an indication of anything, really. I myself would not allow the barrier of not being close with a friend's family to miss a funeral if I wished to mourn their passing. But things quickly turned from uncomfortable to weird when Michelle requested to have a pinch of Conrad's ashes to remember him by, as well as requesting to have some keepsakes from his bedroom. And then it seemed Michelle wouldn't let the event of Conrad's death rest. She expressed on Facebook her wish to be an anti-suicide activist and use that opportunity to organize a charity baseball tournament in Conrad's name. In a Facebook message, she said, Even though I couldn't save my boyfriend's life, I want to put myself out there to save as many other lives as possible. Meanwhile, Detective Gordon of the Fairhaven Police Department had acquired the password to Conrad's phone. And what they were about to find would shine a completely different light on who Michelle Carter was. I don't get why you don't just overdose again, but go somewhere in private. You already know how it works. You're really going to do this? Yes. Okay, well, there's no turning back now. Investigators were shocked to find that in the last week of Conrad Roy's life, Michelle Carter asked when he would kill himself more than 40 times. And every single time he had doubts, she would downplay them. Whenever he expressed guilt over leaving his family, she assured him they'd be fine, that she'd comfort them. At some point in their two-year-long relationship, it appeared to police that Michelle Carter started taking an active role in helping Conrad plan his death. They discussed carbon monoxide poisoning, but when Conrad had issues with the portable generator he owned, she told him to go to Sears and purchase a new one. 
She then did him the favor of searching online for the answers herself as to how to fix the generator. But instead, Conrad had taken a gas-powered water pump from a relative. But then as the prospect of death crept closer and closer, Conrad started to waver again. He expressed to Michelle how scared he was, to which she replied that it was normal to be scared because he was about to die. But the morning after taking the gas-powered water pump, as investigators put it, Conrad had the audacity to still be alive. Michelle told him he was overthinking the whole thing, that he was procrastinating, and that he needed to end his life that day. So later that night, Michelle texted Conrad, asking if he was finally going to do it. Conrad replied only with leaving now. She then texted him back saying, Okay, you can do this. And then Conrad took his own life. It took police months to finally talk to Michelle Carter, but eventually they made their way the 56 kilometers north to King Philip High School to sit down and see exactly what it was that Michelle had to say for herself. Michelle exclaimed to police that on the evening of Conrad Roy's death, they had been on the phone, that they were talking, that he had just suddenly hung up the phone, but she hadn't really put much thought into it. But that's not really what happened. Shortly after speaking with police, Michelle texted her friend, Samantha. Sam, they read my messages with him. I'm done. His family will hate me, and I could go to jail. Sam, his death is my fault. Like, honestly, I could have stopped him. I was on the phone with him, and he got out of the car because it was working, and he got scared, and I told him to get back in. She hadn't only encouraged him. She had insisted he get back into his truck. It was time to suck it up and finally do it. As the car filled up with carbon monoxide, he had gotten out, and Michelle had just admitted to telling him to get back in the car. Can words kill? Can someone be responsible for a murder dozens of kilometers away solely based on the power of their words? Michelle Carter, in the last months of their relationship, had done research on his behalf, then expressed that gained knowledge to Conrad, She'd researched methods of suicide, she'd pestered him persistently, and she did all that because he'd asked her to. But she had done it all the same. Where does that line exist between adhering to a person's wishes or doing what needs to be done in order to save a life? And is it anyone's responsibility or right to interfere with another person in that manner negatively or positively? Either way, their relationship had been nothing but tragic. Conrad Roy, maybe not knowingly, had abused the bond of trust between them, using her as his stable of suicidal thoughts and ideas that wore her down over time, weighed on her and her heart, and Michelle was overwhelmed. She was young and ill-equipped to deal with this. The texts sound horrible, but was there a crime? To prosecutors, it seemed this could be a precedent-setting case, and if they did their jobs right that a charge like this that hadn't been seen before could help set the stage to deter future incidents. And six months after Conrad Roy's passing, 
Michelle Carter was arrested and charged with involuntary manslaughter. Michelle Carter was in handcuffs for the death of her online boyfriend, who she'd only seen three times in person over the last two years. But once again, Creep, knowing what we know about the text messages, what she said is horrible and terrible. But is it criminal? That distinction was left to Judge Lawrence Moniz alone. On the day of jury selection in Taunton, Massachusetts, for Michelle Carter's manslaughter case, in a surprising move, Michelle decided to forego her right to have her fate decided in a trial presided over by 16 jurors. Instead, she chose a bench trial, where only the judge would be able to decide her guilt or innocence. Now, maybe that was a mistake, but Michelle Carter's defense perhaps thought that the texts were infuriating, they were emotional, and they were inflammatory, and that a jury would respond in that way. Whereas, if only the judge were involved, he would view the causation, he would view the laws as they were written, and perceive this case in a more rational light. The prosecution called 14 witnesses, including Michelle's classmates, the same classmates who she was desperate to be friends with, and one of them who she had made the admission to. They painted her motives as one of desperation. Michelle was desperate for attention and saw Conrad's suicide as a way to grab that attention, and threw it the sympathy and friendships that would follow. The prosecutors harped on the single text of Michelle's, where she had confessed to telling him to get back into the car after he said he was scared. And then through the use of texting records, proved to the court that in the three minutes following their final text to one another, instead of calling Conrad's parents or police, Michelle instead texted the boy she was hoping to date and her friends, quick to gain their messages of condolence. In those messages, it was all about her. What am I going to do? How am I going to go on? How am I going to be okay? Michelle's defense, on the other hand, rested solely on one expert testimony, that of psychiatrist Dr. Brennan. In his opinion, he thought she truly meant to help Conrad. Dr. Brennan's professional opinion was that Michelle had been under the influence of involuntary intoxication, caused by her new antidepressants. Michelle had switched her antidepressants, which can cause massive chemical shifts in the brain, changing a person's personality, and even their ability to reason the way they normally and rationally would. Dr. Brennan could mark the day Michelle had changed her medication close enough to the day when her text to Conrad had shifted from, don't do it, to, when will you do it? Between this involuntary intoxication and the constant wear and tear of Conrad's talk of suicide, it seemed simple to Dr. Brennan that Michelle had simply become overwhelmed. There was ample evidence in two years of text messages to prove she didn't want him to take his life. For two years, she had constantly told him not to do it, that it wasn't the answer, that he was loved. And then one day, she suddenly said, if that's what you want to do, then do it. Between the pressure of being Conrad's caretaker and the new antidepressants, Michelle simply broke. Her resolve shattered after a million little cuts and bruises. After six days of testimony, the case came to a close. 
on June 16, 2017. The usually quiet and inconspicuous courthouse in Taunton, Massachusetts, where the case was taking place, was instead mobbed by media, waiting to see the conclusion to a case that had gained international attention. Michelle was ushered into the courthouse with her legal representation and officers of the court at either side. On the right side of the courtroom were the relatives of Conrad Roy, and on the left side were Michelle's parents and family. The room was packed, and more than a half dozen court officers stood ready in case any trouble erupted during sentencing. Judge Lawrence began to deliver his verdict. As the judge began reading the words he had written, Michelle began to shake, and tears welled in her eyes. This was the most emotion that she had let herself show the entire court proceedings that far. Her attorney took her hand in support. The judge started off by saying what she had done and said was not reasonable behavior. But that didn't make Conrad Roy kill himself. Conrad's family began to worry, as Michelle must have felt a tinge of relief, a ray of hope, as it sounded as if she was going to be acquitted. But then Judge Lawrence continued. The court had found that instructing Mr. Conrad Roy to get back into the truck constituted wanton and reckless conduct by Miss Carter, creating a situation where there was a high degree of likelihood that substantial harm would result. Judge Lawrence's address lasted a total of 15 dramatic minutes, as the rest of the courtroom stood silent. If it had been a movie, there could have not been a more climactic and anxious rise in tension. Michelle Carter had called no one, and finally had not issued a simple additional instruction to get out of the truck. Michelle was asked to stand, and was informed that on review of the evidence, that she was found guilty. Michelle Carter, at the age of 20, was found guilty of involuntary manslaughter. I don't know how I feel about this case. I don't know whether I think she is a manipulative killer who used a cell phone to kill Conrad, or if I think her biggest mistake was not wanting Conrad to hate her, desperate for his attention and support. And instead of listening to his wishes, not just going and breaking his trust, doing what had to be done telling his parents before she got too overwhelmed. What do you creeps think? Either way, if you or anyone you know is having a hard time or thinking of ending their lives, I urge you or your friend to call the Suicide Prevention Hotline. The number is 1-800-273-8255. So, creeps, that brings us to the end of our tale. If you enjoyed this episode and want more, please consider becoming a Patreon member by visiting patreon.com slash talesbycole, where we release a Patreon-exclusive podcast weekly for Patreon members generous enough to donate $5 or more. If you have some time on your hands, please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. They are so incredibly important in getting these stories out there. And even more importantly, every five-star review gets me one step closer to moving out of my mother's basement. 
You can also join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching Tales by Cole. This episode was written and narrated by me, Cole Weavers, and sound production and editing by Matt Black. Remember, creeps, take care of one another, stay safe, and don't forget to lock the doors. <laughs>